Welcome to Meeting What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschman. It's the Meeting What Movie Club. This month, we're talking about the 2006 Shane Black film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, which saw one of the first positive depictions of a gay man in an American action movie. Hi, Sean. Hi, Chris. Hey, y'all. What up, fag hags? <laughs> right off the top. It's the start of the month. Is this why we're not listed on Apple Podcasts anymore? Is that what happened? Is that what did it? This what, is this what's been going on while I've been gone? Yeah. No. Yeah. This is it. Chris is back. Hey. Yes. yes. And yeah, yeah. Uh, not much has happened since you've been gone, Chris, other than us getting removed from iTunes. So we didn't miss So anything. it's not like the song since you've been gone? No. No. Since you've been gone. Uh, we are not Kelly Clarkson. Maybe that's our problem. Maybe I couldn't remember if it was Kelly Clarkson or if it was somebody else. That is Kelly Clarkson, right? Yes, it it's is. It's not Katy Perry? No, okay. do not insult Kelly Clarkson like that. <laughs> Well, no, oh, wait, now we're going to get canceled. Oh. That's funny because my next guess would have been Katy Perry. <laughs> it all... White women, they're all the yeah. same. Remember, Katy yeah. Perry's the vaguely offensive one about fake lesbianism. There we go. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Weren't we doing a podcast? Yeah. Isn't that what we were doing? Yeah. People Allegedly. like to pay us sometimes for it. Um, if you would like to pay us uh, to continue doing this and wasting your time, patreon.com slash meaningwhatpod um, and sign up for one of the tiers. It'll be lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the things that we've been doing? I know we did a, did we do the playlist? Yeah. We have a, a monthly playlist that we will be updating to feature some of the, some of our favorite songs, a little a mix of old stuff, mix of new stuff, whatever we're listening to. We have a behind-the-scenes podcast that we are releasing once or twice a month as we have stuff to release from that. We've also got things planned for some tabletop RPG stuff, um, some bonus episodes, some other extra content. There might be art or little blog postings in the future. We're playing with it. Yeah, and then uh, some shout-outs, too. And some shout-outs, yes, uh, which is the biggest reason um, behind purely capitalist needs that we want people to sign up so that we can do some more fun things with um, uh, the shout-outs yeah. for patrons. So if you want to get your name on that list, there's there's a foolproof way to do it, and that is to give us money. Yeah. So it is the Meaning What Movie Club, and... For this month, because it is Pride Month, <laughs> Sean and I talked for a long time about what we wanted to do with this. There were, you know, should we do a really genuine depiction of LGBT issues in cinema? And um, we we had done that with Moonlight, and and there was some talk. Well, maybe we could we could spin this a different way. And so for a while, we were talking about. Could we do a film that, when it came out, it felt like really good representation, and now it is kind of cringy? And we didn't quite do that either, but we kept 
waffling around and not really figuring it out. And then um, the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came to mind. And in relationship to all of this, Val Kilmer's depiction of a gay private detective in uh, early aughts <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Maybe that is the movie that we're looking for. So that's what we watched. <laughs> Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, the 2006 uh, film that marked the return of Robert Downey Jr. following his various scandals and written and directed by Shane Black of Lethal Weapon fame, um, who went later direct Robert Downey Jr. again in Iron Man 3. Arguably the worst of the Iron Man movies from what I recall, but definitely the worst period. That was the, that was the one where they gave the president an Iron Man suit, right? Everyone got an Iron Man suit. The Mandarin. Oh yeah, that's right. They totally messed up the Mandarin and stuff, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Um, I I came back specifically to talk about the Marvel cinematic universe. See you guys later. Okay, so you're fucking Fuck fired. <laughs> uh, so, this film, one of the fun things about this movie is that it is very much a 2006 movie. And what I mean by that, it is like a Guy Ritchie style comedy that is just so certain that it's funny that sometimes it is really funny. And a lot of the times it is exhausting and unparsable, which doesn't make it a bad movie and doesn't make it unenjoyable. It just makes it uh, the kind of movie that at about the three quarters point, you realize you have no idea what's happening in the plot and maybe never did. Yes. So leading, leading off with that, this movie is about Harry Lockhart played by Robert Downey Jr. Who is a thief who botches a job. His partner gets killed and or at least gets shot. I don't know if we ever know if he dies or not. Nope. And Harry Lockhart ends up stumbling into a movie audition and somehow nailing it. Um, and they fly him out to Los Angeles to screen test him. And while he is in Los Angeles, he meets the girl that got away, the woman that he was best friends with in high school who he was totally in love with, but it was totally unrequited. She'd come out from their small Midwestern town to become a, a famous actress, and they run into each other at this party. At the same time, Harry Lockhart, who was in the running for a detective role, gets assigned to a private investigator to do kind of a ride-along thing. The private investigator is played by Val Kilmer, a character referred to as Gay Perry. And then they find themselves in a totally overblown, ridiculous murder, pseudo-kidnapping plot um, that they may or may not all be... uh, Interconnected. Yes. That's the broad strokes of this film. Yeah. And I feel like I can say that without giving spoilers because, you know, there will be spoilers, obviously, in this episode. But uh, you get to the end of that plot and you go, I don't know how any of this is actually connected. What did I just watch? We'll get to that in a minute. But Sean, Chris, what were your thoughts on this film? Just what's the cold take from it? I really enjoyed it. 
from an entertainment perspective. Put it on super late last night, watched it with my partner, and we're just laughing the whole time. Just so much absurdity and like how charmingly funny Robert Downey Jr. was and his delivery and stuff. It just made it such like just a fun experience. But from a completely different perspective, Mason, like you said, I had no fucking clue what was happening. Like (laughs) by the time I got to, you know, where they started kind of unveiling like the double crossing, I was just like, I was Uh falling asleep, you know, because like there's just comes a point where it's just like, there's an overstimulation that kind of happens where it's just, I don't, I don't know anymore. I ran out of steam. (laughs) (laughs) This movie made me tired. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and there's a flood of minor characters and they're all somehow important, but most of them aren't named and pretty soon. And they all look alike. Yes. And that's the point question. Yeah. (laughs) Sean, as our resident queer individual, how did you feel about this? <laughs> pew, 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 pew. Um, thought it was trying too hard. Like you said, it just was like, ah, I'm so funny and meta. I'm going to get by just on Robert Downey Jr.'s charisma. Fair enough shot. I kind of loved Val Kilmer's character. Yeah, me too. Gay Perry was kind of everything. Yeah. Gay Perry. Let's talk about Gay Perry for a minute. For the rest of the episode. Yeah, we could. That was kind of the impetus for watching this film this month. And I was really curious to see how Gay Perry would age as a character. Because when I watched this movie, like, 10 years ago or whatever, I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was really hilarious. But a lot has changed. And that was the thing that I remembered was like, this character who was maybe the first real legitimate like positive depiction of a gay man in an action movie right you could see how that would age like milk but rewatching it like Val Kilmer is delightful mm-hmm. and at no point does it does it feel overly like a shtick any more than anybody else does but he also has the benefit of being the only character in the entire film who has any competence at all at what he's doing and knows what's going on. And I think that that really helps the character a lot because he is the straight man, right? Yeah. That's the role that he plays. <laughs> Joke. And like the, sh- the lazy shtick of everything's about gay sex accidentally was somehow not played out. Ish. Well, he... I- yeah, I felt like he was the one that his character was the one that initiated a lot of that. A lot of the time that I that I really recognized it, it felt like he was putting it out there to get ahead of it so that other characters couldn't mention it, right? right. It's like, and here's the place for the gay joke, but um you're all idiots. <laughs> this is my faggot gun. Right. Yeah. You asked. <laughs> At the beginning, I noticed, you know, like Without him being named Gay Perry, it is the catalyst for all the discussion regarding gay identity. It's just him having that name and him being branded as such. And right. that winds up just 
kind of serving in opposition to a lot of my experiences with uh, actors portraying gay men in entertainment during that time. Usually it's like the gay best friend or, you know, somebody serving as like the slapstick uh, comedic element, especially in sitcoms, whereas he was deadpan, deadly serious, like most of the time, especially at the party in the beginning whenever it was always another person questioning him about his sexual identity. And he would always just take it to not just the next level, but like a completely different plane of existence where he would just like <laughs> say something that is so demonstrably like untrue that it would, they would just be like, Oh, okay. And just kind of like take them off, you know, take them off balance a little <laughs> bit, which I thought was really, really great in a nice way to kind of turn the, typical trope of having a gay supporting character on its head a bit. Yeah. There's that comment he makes to Robert Downey Jr. I think when they're leaving that party where Robert Downey Jr.'s character makes a comment about his nickname, you know, are you, are you gay Perry? Do they call you that? Because, and Perry just says, no, I I kept the name because I like it so much. I like being called that so much or Mm -hmm. something. And that like really set the tone for every, conversation about Perry's identity for the rest of the film, I thought. Also, like, when we're introduced to him, it is, you know, in media res, he's in the middle of a homophobic conversation with Robert Downey Jr.'s character's uh, agent. Yeah. Agent, yeah. Explaining gay culture to him or something. Right. You know, or or, or like how he knows he's not gay. Because he looked at a dick and didn't Something about an elephant? Question mark, yada, 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 yada. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, Val Kilmer says anything in that exchange. Like, he has a little quip at the end, but it's just him just sitting there stewing, and it really sets this tone for all of his interactions going forward and really, like, this is this is a guy who is part of this world, and this is the the way that he moves through it, and the kind of shit he has to put up with. He feels like a real person. Maybe the only real person in the whole film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we know that gay. Yeah. I've slept with that gay before. Everybody knows that gay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're like dependable, nice, maybe a bit too masculine for their own good, you know? And it's, it's really interesting that, that he plays that part because Harry Lockhart, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is the narrator. And so we have this, this issue of like reliability, unreliable narrator. Yeah. And his love interest is only spoken about as like this perfect human being, um, you know, and, and is presented as really delightful and, and very charismatic and all of this. And, and so that carries with it, knowing who the narrator is, this level of, is she actually this at this level? You know, um, so it's interesting that Perry is the one that feels like a human being. You know, that doesn't, I don't feel like that is, that can possibly be an, an accident. Yeah. Especially when that narration, particularly in the beginning of the film, plays such a big role in establishing the tone of the movie and, and your relationship with every major character. Yep. Can we talk about the boob flicking scene? <laughs> For like a couple minutes to go 
Yeah, but, it's so it's so stupid. <laughs> so one of the one of the really important aspects of Harry Lockhart's character is that he is like the even though he is a thief, he is the good guy thief. He is the total good honorable thief and he is a totally chivalrous dude. He goes out of his way to problematic extents to be the good guy. And there are moments where that slips up in really telling ways that feel like mistakes on the narrator's part. But in his own telling, he's like this, he is this guy that has, you know, always respected women and always been just totally infallible. And particularly with, um, with Harmony, this, this woman that is, is the one that got away and that he is, was best friends with in high school and totally in love with. And so there's a scene with a bad CGI spider where she ends up back at his hotel room and he's taking her shirt off to like, was she? I think she was soaking wet or something like that. Yeah. 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 And he was putting her in bed. Right. And she was drunk. And so he was like getting her wet clothes off of her and he sees a spider on her boob and, you know, slapstick humor. He like tries to blow it off or, you know, tries to wave it. And then he flicks it and she wakes up and they have, they have this exchange about, you know, you just grabbed my tit and she's like, no, that's totally okay. And he's like, no, it's not. I'm the good guy. I trust you. I that trust is their you. First fight of that way. And then of course, like you see the spider leg on her, on her bra. Or it's like, Oh, and she leaves, right? She leaves in a huff because reasons. And it turns out to be okay because there's a dead woman in a shower. So, did she leave at that point because he figured out that she had sex with his best friend? That was later. Okay. That was when they um, slept in the same bed together. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, "No, I have to leave. I am too distracted." But and that was his tactic to get sex. That's a new one. But that I mean that plays into this whole faithless narrator trope, right? Right. And I feel like that is an important part of reading this film is like thinking about it as he is Nick from the great Gatsby. And so everybody has some aura around them and you don't, you don't know who, who is actually what, but like looking at it that way makes his obnoxiously um, virtuous character feel a little bit more plausible, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like it's not, soul-crushingly obnoxious, right? Because without that element, then he is just an impossibly nice guy who also robs stores and got his partner shot. I don't know. know. (laughs) It has a pretty high kill count by the end of the movie. That's true. He shoots a lot of people. But he regrets it thoroughly for most um, question mark. (laughs) Was there something in particular you wanted to say about that scene, Sean? That basically covered it. Also, I didn't really see the terrible CGI spider. So then <laughs> then at first I thought he was actually just flicking at her boobs. Because, um, you know, that also is possible. He does get distracted by her nipples at some point. So, you know. Yep. That, yeah. There is that. I don't understand straight culture, but I guess... That 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 works. 
we're attracted to things that that are different from what you're attracted to, and you need to be okay with that. I like nipples too. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's a different culture. And we need to share in order to achieve harmony. Speaking of, let's talk about this character, Harmony, who is at every turn wobbling on the tightrope of Midwestern girl comes to LA trope and also like fetishization of that woman and, and all of this. But also can fight people, but also damsel in distress. And also universes around her, but also well-read, but reads the wrong things, you know? Right, yeah. Corrects his grammar, because that's how you show she's so smart. (laughs) Right, but she got that that grammar knowledge from reading what is basically James Bond novels. But worse. Hard-boiled paperback. (laughs) The, the guy on the covers is even doing the James Bond pose. <laughs> what is it fucking called? Yeah. yeah, what is that book? Johnny Gossamer. So the, her entire character is built around Johnny Gossamer. And her whole like worldview is built around these books that were an escape for her living in an in a abusive household with a father who was sexually abusing her little sister that she ran away from. This was like, this was her escape. This was her world. And it, it inspired her to leave, to run away and come to Los Angeles. And she was going to be in the pictures and throughout the entire film, it's just like beating you over the head with her entire personality is hard boiled detective novels and 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 her entire approach to the mystery that she gets embroiled in is also her everything that these books taught her and 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 her knowledge from that which again like really sucks if it is just this character in a vacuum but seen through the lens of are we seeing this woman through somebody else's lens creates a i think creates a interesting kind of complication for her Absolutely. Also the elaborate, the terrible line that she concocts for her sister based off a movie of these books that therefore is the impetus for like some of the murdering and 17 crosses and lies. Right. She tells her sister that their dad is not actually her dad, that her dad is an actor in in Hollywood who had come to their small town to film a Gossamer movie. And so she comes out to L.A. to presumably find her dad and and ends up killed, which um, is... Suicide. Right. Um, Technically suicide. We think it's killed by a midway through the film, but then it's like, no, it's... Okay. It's just one of the many mixed messages that we get during the film. Right. Incest is bad, y'all. You heard it here first. (laughs) Breaking news. That is the big thing that this movie has going against it, right? Is that it is so, so determined to be clever and so Mm -hmm. determined for everything to be multi-layered and complicated and every character to be unclear and complicated that it ends up really stumbling over itself in, in both its like genuine heartfelt storytelling and its comedy, which Mm -hmm. is 
trying so hard to tell you that it's funny that sometimes it gets in the way of, of it actually being funny. Yeah. It's like if we look at, you know, the primary love, love interest harmony as a character, like if you made like a bubble chart of like all of her different personality traits, like her defining personality traits, she winds up having so much. It's like, like, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, like she winds up becoming this every woman in a lot of ways, which, you know, could speak to how our narrator views her or something. But at the same time, like, you know, looking back on it and looking at her as a character in isolation just makes it hard to have any kind of empathy for her in the situation that she's going through and stuff because she doesn't even seem real, which may be the point. I mean, I hope it's the point because if not, then like Shane Black fucked up. It's kind of amazing, right? He has a a, a very strong gay character mm-hmm. in this film and a chorus of incredibly weak female characters. Mm-hmm. He broke one trope and then just double, triple, quadruple down on the other problematic tropes of this genre. Well, maybe that's where all of his energy went. You know, he just spent so much time focusing on gay Perry that he's just like, all right, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste for all the female right. characters. But also gay Perry is soaked in so much of the hard-boiled detective genre masculinity, right? That mm-hmm. he just, like, it's also not that much of a stretch. He just manages to make a less offensive gay joke out of it? Question mark? Yeah. But, like, is incapable of dealing with the idea of femininity in a way that makes sense. <laughs> That's true. I The thing that makes gay Perry work is that the gay part is just a single character trait. Mm-hmm. It's, it is just a fact about this character that he's attracted to men, right? And he is a litany of other things outside of that and arguably the single complex fleshed out individual in this entire movie who just happens to be gay Mm -hmm. on top of all of it, which is what makes him an effective gay character is that he's not a gay character. He is a character who is gay. Yeah. And I feel like more than anything, gay Perry's sexual identity just gives him license to say certain things in ways that are less offensive than if we didn't know that he was gay. Yeah. You know, like let's say, you know, he's talking about his very tiny gun. Sean, <laughs> Sean, what's, what's, the, what's the name of the gun? Why can't you say it? You can say it. No. It. We can't okay, say thank it. you. Thank you. Um, you get a pass. Can I hand out that pass for it? It's very <laughs> glittery. You can say on tape now that we are allowed to say that. And then moving forward in this one episode, we can say it because we've been given license. I think that's how it works. Yeah. It's a a case-to-case, use-by-use sort of thing. Yeah. I give you license to say it if you at least metaphorically put it in scare quotes. There you go. You're just quoting the source (laughs) material as a good good journalist would. Still not doing it. I hope every time I, we say this word, you make an elaborate bleeping noise. I, I really want that to, to be a thing. You're the only one who's going to be saying it, Sean. So that, yeah. that gag doesn't work. Uh, you know. I'll start doing that, though. I will definitely start bleeping you out 
Do it. <laughs> They'll never know what I'm saying. But at the same time, like this is kind of the point of the film is that it's okay to for Val Kilmer to say it. And it's funny when he says it because no one else can. Exactly. (laughs) If you had like somebody who's like, Oh, I'm straight Larry and I'm going to say this, you know, like it just, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's the same way that Quentin Tarantino uses black people. Right. We can cut that. No, you shouldn't, because we are still trying to get rid of him, even if he's pretending to allegedly say he's never making a move again. But I mean, like, I genuinely mean that. Like, he can he can use the N word in his scripts because he has black actors in the film, right? Yeah, got the stamp of approval. Right. So the same way, you know, he must love typing that word. He has it. He has it in his um, like how you can set up autocorrect to you start typing word and it just fills it out. That's one of hard R, hard R. <laughs> oh, the the movie's depiction of black people is kind of whatever weird. They were always villains in weird many, ways. Two. There were two because the the one that I can think of is the henchman. Yeah, one of the two henchmen. Who, yeah, and then the other one is the orderly at the insane ward who pulls a gun out of them for no That's reason. Right, right? that yeah. entire like scene makes no sense because he's not—he doesn't work with the bad guys, but he just like. But presumably he does, right? He's been paid off by right this hotshot Hollywood mogul. Um, he's in the pocket, and he's not a character that we've ever seen. We don't have any relationship to him, but suddenly he is involved and has this moment of importance. Both of the black people in this film die. And Robert Downey Jr. kills both, kills both of them. <laughs> and one of them is justified, and one of them is Russian roulette for some reason. It's because his character is a moron. Yeah. Yep. 8%. <laughs> Arguably, no. they're both caused by his character being a moron. Hey, his finger was cut off. He was high on too many drugs. He just fell asleep. I kind of love that the main character was just like asleep for a good third of the action. <laughs> just in the backseat of a car. He just, you know, he like Mr. Magoo did his way <laughs> everywhere to all of the all of the important plot points. A Mr. Magoo action movie would probably be pretty cool. Has it happened? Isn't that like like a Mr. Bean movie is. Oh, Johnny, is Johnny English. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, Isn't for... that basically what that is? Yeah, pretty much. Yes. And I <laughs> love those films. Absolutely love those films. I think, I don't know that I've ever seen any of them all the way through. One of them was in the, the rotation for the DVD player in the back room at the old Navy that I worked at. So I saw 15 minute clips of it <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> Which is also how I watched um, Hot Fuzz. Ah. It was in 15-minute sections out of order for a year and a half. <laughs> I've seen the movie. I've seen it front to back.
I really did enjoy the the 8% exchange that they have yeah. after the Russian roulette. That was one of those moments that I laughed out loud just because Val Kilmer, he's an excellent comedic actor, especially in this film. And there were a couple moments like that where a lot of it is... Gay Perry scolding, yeah. scolding RDJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the, the funniest moments are when Val Kilmer doesn't say anything, you know, or like... The first time that Val Kilmer drops him off somewhere, I think it's after they dispose of the body, and Robert Downey Jr. just slumps against the side of, of Val Kilmer's Mercedes, <laughs> and 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 he's going, I have to go. Yeah. You, it's okay, I have to go. I have to go, and he pushes him off of the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's where had me rolling. Oh, so good. Just that good comedy of just a really smart character being just a piece of shit and it being justified, you know, because he's doing it to an idiot. 90% yeah. Of the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was around that time or not, but it was whenever, uh, Val Kilmer is like super pissed off at Robert Downey Jr. And he's like, uh, like sleep badly. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, don't you mean sleep bad? <laughs> No, you moron. And then Val Kilmer just turn, turns it around like, oh, it's an adverb. <laughs> oh. And what what a great, like, curse on someone, mm-hmm. you know? I, I may start using that. Just if you're just mad at somebody, just wishing them to sleep badly is, it's good. Yeah. And this movie is full of things like that. Yeah. I usually wish indigestion upon people I have been plagued by, and I believe that falls in that same category. I don't wish death yeah. upon you. That's a bit much work, <laughs> but you know, gentle suffering. Similar energy, yeah. I don't want you hurt. I just want you uncomfortable. I want you to be as unhappy as you make me. <laughs> I hated when they when the movie almost ended and he was like, isn't, and Gay Perry's like, isn't this like your Johnny Gossamer film books? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. It's so much more dramatic. He usually like kills 16 people. And then we got to half an hour later and Robert Downey Jr. has killed 16 people <laughs> by willpower. Is hanging off of a, a corpse's arm um, above the I-5 freeway. And just, just all of a sudden starts shooting really well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets that dead eye thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of more evidence that this is very likely just a fantasy. Yeah. I, I think I genuinely think that is the only way to read this movie. And and when I think about it that way, I like it more. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. one, because I like that kind of story, but but two, because it makes all of the things that that are insufferable about the film and about its characters kind of funny and at least makes at least gives them a plausible explanation yeah which also becomes this dangerous line to walk where mm-hmm. it, it becomes really easy to write off problematic things in in the script and in the way that it's presented but you know it also makes it palatable i don't want to say tolerable but it you know it it, it makes it it makes a little bit more sense as a film yeah. that way. But its intention as a fantasy is unclear. 
it's kind of this Ouroboros thing, right? In one way, it's a movie about that male power fantasy that comes out of paperback books, right? Mm-hmm. The James Bond novels and out of all of the all of the 1960s like noir revival paperback novels and stuff. Right. It, it is very much fulfilling that. And it's a movie about a man trying to fulfill that who's in love with a woman whose entire personality is fulfilling that. And so it just turns into this cycle. So again, it it is like a way to wave off the problematic aspects of that, right? You know, mm-hmm. oh, it's just, it is just a parody of that sort of thing and, and of all of the difficult things that come out of that because it is just, it's a guy who thinks that that was his experience and it probably wasn't. Like in real life, everyone probably just died by accident and he just happened to think that he, because he was also shot in the heart question mark and through adrenaline and love <laughs> got up and shot a bunch of people but none of the good guys die in the movie and they make the long joke about gay perry not dying oh like oh no, sorry <laughs> <laughs> right which you know, if if I'm not being cynical, feels like a sort of play on the kill your gaze trope, right? Like, yeah, I literally thought I did too because I I had forgotten how the movie ended, and so I thought, oh oh god, there it is. There's the thing that didn't age well, but but no, he lives and he's okay. But then and then he goes and confronts for some reason harmonies. Dad, in, yeah, Hermie's dead, and slaps him like slaps him a couple. That was no, makes no <laughs> sense. I think what bothered me about that, you know, it's it's like this showing this this man who preyed on a powerless girl, like what it feels like to be powerless and and to be hurt, right? And kind of it is it is not a a, a very strong parallel but that is the parallel that they're trying to draw right Uh, the problem that i had with it was that perry was the one that got to do that right this guy that that did not grow up here does not know any of these people who's just there for the funeral right because he is a he has a secondary relationship with the actual individuals involved you know like if if harry lockhart had gone in there and done it like that would have been kind of, uh, but it would have made a little bit more sense because he would have known the guy, presumably. He would have been aware of the effect that it had had on his daughters. And so that that could have been it. And, you know, if Harmony had gone and, and done it, it would have been a different trope. Cathartic moment. Yeah. But the fact that it was Perry that went and got to do it felt very weird. It didn't feel earned. And and they also did the smarmy. It's done. We promise it's not like Lord of the Rings. Here's just one more scene for your pleasure, viewing pleasure. And it's that, right? Was that just a service to the audience? Like all the bad guys got to get theirs. Yeah. Whatever. Who? <laughs> Which audience member was pleased by that? I don't know. But I mean, also in that sort of storytelling, like no bad guy gets away. That's the point, right? Like you kill all the bad guys and 
all done. And and the the hero gets the girl and rides off in the sunset with a nice bow on the end of it. So, you know, maybe it, it was this movie's way of, of nodding to that, but trying to do it in a way that felt, I don't know, like, like maybe Perry was the only character that could actually do that plausibly. I don't know. <sighs> I remember there being a incident where Perry and Harry, I also hate how similar their names are. Yeah. Perry and Harry <laughs> and Harmony are <laughs> discussing very briefly their past with their fathers. Uh, I pulled up the quote. Um, oh. Uh, Perry says, how about you, Harry? Did your father love you? And Harry says, ah, sometimes, like when I dressed up like a bottle. How about yours? And Perry says, well, he used to beat me in Morse code, so it's possible, but he never actually said the words. So it could be one of those things where this is also Perry trying to exact his own vengeance for something, but it's so it's buried so, so deep that I doubt that it's meaningfully connected. Yeah. I had an abusive father, so I'm going to take it out on you, other abusive father. Yeah. It's like, well, everybody who's in Hollywood is there because they're fucked up. I think that was another thing that was like commented on is they're like, oh yeah, everybody here is just, you know, here trying to escape a fucked up life. Harry was really hooked on that, especially when it came to actresses, right? Because mm-hmm. they were all girls who'd been abused by their dads. Mm-hmm. And and were were loose women. And this is before he even knew that harmony was harmony, right? That bar scene. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I and this just occurred to me. There's not a single father in this film that is not a bad person. Like the big bad guy is the cruel dad that puts his daughter in an institution and then like writes her out of the will. Basically, mm-hmm. all of our main characters' dads are terrible. To the point of super villainy, you yeah. know. So all the main characters' dads are super villains. The super villain of the movie is a is a father. Like that's we're laying that on a little thick yeah. here. And like the really terrible act and like the thing that sets a lot of the stuff in motion is this guy being a bad father, like actively trying to be a bad father. So that isn't that's something I didn't really think of. But yeah, you're right. And that's the that is, if anything, a gay dude stereotype, right? I have daddy issues. Right. That's why I'm gay. Yeah, I you could hear that line from Perry before he said it. You know, like they were they were setting that up that my dad was abusive, but it was 2006, and this was progressive for the time. <laughs> I mean, they're they, they're still going to do that these days. Oh yeah. Yeah, and and in a lot of ways, this remains a lot more progressive than some movies that came out in the last couple of years, as far as some of these tropes go. You know? It doesn't push it too far, right? With with trying to be representative, right? And I think that that is the intriguing thing, at least to me, about the about the movies. Like I said before, like Perry works because the gay part of Perry is, is just a single facet that it just happens to be there. And he is the only character who doesn't have all of his aspects turned up to 11, right? Yeah. That is how everyone else operates 
which is kind of a reversal of those roles, too, in kind of an interesting way. The straight white protagonist is totally ridiculous and in all of his aspects, and the, the gay sidekick is not, and also not the sidekick. Yeah. In any other film, he would have been the protagonist. Something that I, I've been thinking about is how so early in the film, Robert Downey Jr. gets, gets his ass beat hard. For trying to be a good Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, like the hero in the story is is supposed to win their fights. You know, of course, like that changes at the end, but it still kind of sets up this weird binary relationship between Harry and Gay Perry where Harry is the one who is like troubled and the one who is not living up to the expectations of the audience, particularly, whereas Gay Perry is like also not meeting those expectations. In a lot of ways, he's exceeding those expectations. And he reminded me a lot of Mike from Breaking Bad. Yeah. Kind of like this, this fixer, like somebody who has all the answers and has all this life experience that makes them really good to have on your side and really dangerous to be on the opposite side of. And who doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Which I just think is a really, really fun binary to have between them. And I think one of the things that probably makes it work, like if Gay Perry was a different character or if he wasn't there at all, I don't think the film would work. <clears throat> totally. And that's an interesting thing about this movie, too, is that any of its aspects, even the problematic ones, if you changed any of them, I don't think that this film, what it is, would would hold up, right? It is so reliant on every single aspect of its structure that if you change any of them, it becomes a completely different movie that doesn't does not function in the very particular way that yeah. this movie is functioning. Which is also one of its problems. It is so fully and totally and absolutely reliant on itself and the thing that it builds itself into that it can't ever be any more or less than that. It feels like it is constantly running to keep up with itself. Mm -hmm. The movie critics liked it at the time? Yes? Yeah, it did pretty well. It got a standing ovation at one of the film festivals. Yeah, I saw Rotten Tomatoes is usually one of the barometers I use before I look at a film just to see what the critic and moviegoers consensus is. It has like 85 for both or like mid 80s and I'm like, hey, that's good enough for me. Yeah, it's, it's like a B. Yeah. It's a B movie. If we gave out scores, yeah, a B sounds about right. Yeah. It's also Robert Downey Jr. has said on at least one occasion that it is his favorite movie that he's ever done. I could imagine it being a really fun movie to make. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Just put him in the recording booth and say, go do the thing. <laughs> it would be such a fun character to play. And it is really like this prototype of his Tony Stark character. Yeah. It, it is Tony Stark without any money and without any confidence <laughs> in anything. And without him. Gwyneth Paltrow. And without Gwyneth Paltrow. So is that, so is that us? Yes. <laughs> and what, because we don't have money or Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah. In fact, okay. we're kind of, well, we're kind of an anti-Tony Stark, right? We, we have a screed against Gwyneth Paltrow, lightly, as you might and see. And capitalism, which is yeah. 
what makes Iron Man work. Boo! But incompetence, but charming. That's what you get at this podcast. About halfway through the film, I turned to, to Trina and I was like, I miss Robert Downey Jr. outside of Iron Man. I do too. Because I feel like he just has so much charisma. Yeah. And I just feel like he and, you know, he and Val Kilmer had such a great chemistry. And I find that he has that with a lot of people that he winds up being in films mm-hmm. with. Like I would think of, uh, oh gosh, it's a movie where he is opposite Jamie Foxx and Jamie Foxx plays a unhoused man who oh, is the, like a savant. The soloist or the. Yeah, that's yeah. 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 The soloist. Um, you know, it was another, another film where, you know, you have great, two leading characters who just have such great chemistry together. And then you just have, you know, 5,000 Marvel films where that's all Robert Downey Jr. does. Or at least that's all I've, all I've seen him in in the past like decade. Or Dr. Doolittle, which was just a bunch of very famous people as CGI animals. Right. That was a paycheck. Yeah. Right. Yep, you do what you got to do really to pay the bills. One. Does, right. oh, mm, do, mm, does he need to pay, does he pay bills? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if his Marvel contract is what I understand it to be, he makes will, bajillion dollars. He makes most of Disney's budget at this point. So <laughs> most of, most of Marvel's money goes to paying his salary for every movie he's in. You know what? I almost love him for a second Disney dry. Oh, I do too. Like, get in at the bottom and just like build the empire around you. Good for him, you know. I recently rewatched Good Night and Good Luck, which is the film about Edward R. Murrow going after Senator McCarthy, and he's in it. He's like, he might be a like a a secondary reporter, or he works in the newsroom, and it's the same thing. Like, he has this this charm and every scene that he's in, he's not in them for very long, but they're just delightful. And he plays off of everybody so wonderfully. And even in a movie that is that serious, he gets opportunities for like little, little glimmers of, of comedy. All that's to say, I, I miss him outside of Marvel too. And this movie was a good reminder of that. And good night and good luck is still very good. I, that was, that's been a movie that's been on my list for a long, long time. David Stratham is just so good in it. Is there anything we didn't cover? Ball electrocution, penis bone. <laughs> Nothing about the plot is important. Dog eating the finger. Yeah, a lot of the comedy was kind of. I feel like the through line of the film is just like wrong place, wrong time, or right place, wrong time. Or right mm-hmm. place, right time. You know, it's like very circumstantial stuff that winds up leading to like not only a lot of the comedy, but a lot of the drives the plot forward, you know, like uh, showing up at the audition, you know, like so happenstance. But then also you have the dog stealing the finger. Right. It's just like <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, how could this totally random thing happen? And then that winds up being the thing that winds up putting him asleep in the back of a car, you know? Which which is the thing that allows him to 
witness the murder of this side character that turns out to be incredibly important and core to the whole conspiracy, and he gets to kill one of the yeah. bad guys. All because he fell asleep in the back yeah. of the car. After one of the bad guys gets asleep. killed by a guy who has a gun and a taco truck? That's fine. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, let's talk about circumstantial. Thank goodness the taco truck owner is packing. Yeah. It's a comedy of errors. About a gay Perry's ringtone as he is presumably dead as I will survive. Ha 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 ha. But also gay. <laughs> I was like, but disco. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Go listen to our disco episode, y'all. It never mm. died. <laughs> I'm mm, a shrug, which also covers the, my feelings towards the movie. Mm. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, how do, how do we feel about this film? Is this a film that we can suggest to people? I, I think it is fair to say that we all enjoy mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, but mm-hmm. like, I don't know. My feelings just speaking for myself, my feelings are still really mixed on it. And that is one thing that I am so intrigued about. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one of the things that, that, that makes me interested in this movie is that I don't know how I feel about it and even how I feel about the parts that I think are working. But all that leaves me with this feeling of, I don't, I don't know where I'm at with the movie. Like, I wouldn't go out of my way to tell somebody, like, oh, hey, have you seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? You should totally watch it. Uh, but I enjoyed it for the, a lot of the same reasons that I enjoyed The Nice Guys, which I, I mentioned to y'all before we started recording, uh, which is also written and directed by Shane Black. So there's, if somebody liked The Nice Guys, I'd be like, oh, you should probably check out this one too, but like, get it from the library. Don't buy it. Yeah, I would potentially watch this again at some point, but I wouldn't buy a copy, you know? If this movie shows up on streaming somewhere, we all rented it. I got it from the library. Well, there you go. I forgot yep. that that's a thing I can do. And so I rented it from Apple. Alas. Giving them more of your money after they fucked you Giving over so more bad. more of their money. They take money out of my pocket, and as they do so, I hand them <laughs> more. It's a kink. <laughs> it's capitalism, baby. Yes, that's my kink. <laughs> if this movie shows up on streaming, I would say, mm, yeah, watch it. Um, drunk. If you are, if you are one to imbibe, have a drink or two with it and watch it. Um, you won't miss anything. You'll miss everything. <laughs> but yeah, don't go out of your way for it. I think is a very good approach. Yeah, like I fell asleep around the time that they went into the to the hospital like i don't really remember <laughs> the orderly i just remember the russian roulette scene and just like like in isolation how hilarious that was and but i don't remember anything that led up to 8%, it 8% and yeah. like so it's like considering i didn't watch like the last 8% of the film eh, <laughs> yeah you know it's okay <laughs> You didn't miss much. Yeah, exactly. And it would not have helped you understand the plot anymore. Yeah. And it's like, you know, people aren't missing anything by watching this film. And I think like anything that you would gain from the best performance of the film by Val Kilmer can be had in the first half hour. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, just go watch clips on YouTube. Yep. Yeah. There you go. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually, did I stutter?